Shalom and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Shani Tarragon, and today we're going to conclude with the last parshia of Parshat Tazria, dealing once again with the laws of Tzarat, but this time not on a living person, but rather on a dormant object. The same terminology of nega is going to be used, which perhaps only underscores what we've been mentioning until now, namely that this disease is certainly not a physical medical one, but the very fact that it can affect a non-living object teaches us that there's something much more supernatural with regard to this phenomenon. We begin then with verse 47 in chapter 13. Nega tsaratu, the haroa ta kohen. Vera oha kohena tanaga, vihiskira tanega, shevat yamim. Vera oa tanega ba yom hashvii, ki pasaha nega babeger, o basti, o ba eriv, o ba or, lohola sheria seha or lemelaha, tsarat mam erit hanega tamehu. Visarafeta beger o tashti, o ta erib, batzemer o bibishtim, o at ko kliha or a sher yebo hanaga, ki tsarat mameriti, ba ish tisarif. The Imir Hakohen, Vine Lofasahanega, Babeged, Obashio, Bairiv, Obhokli or Vitivaha Kohen, Vichipsu, Etasherbo Hanaga, Vesgiro Shivat Yamim Shinit. There are all Hakohen, a Hare, who cabes at Hanega, Vine Lohafahanega et Eno, Vahanega Lofasa, Tamehu, Baish Tisrefenu, Pheteti, Bekarachto, Obagabarto. The Imra Oha Kohen, Vine Keha Hanega, a Hare, who cabesoto. Vikarao tomena beged omena or omena stiomena eriv. The im tira e oba beged obastio ba eriv, obohokli or porachati, ba ish tisrefenu, et asherbo hanaga. The habeged o hashti, o ha eriv, o hokli ha or asher tahabes, visarmehem hanaga, vuhubas shenit vitahir. Zotarat negat sarat, beged hat semer, o hapishtim, o hashti, o ha eriv, o kokli or litaharo o litamu. We know that we've reached the end of this section, this parshia, through the motif of Zotorat Negatzarat Beget Hatzemir, the term of Zotorat, which concludes that these are the instructions, the ideas that we've seen from the introduction of the laws of Tumat and Tahara. Let us now return to the beginning of the parshia to translate the Pesukim. Verse 47. And when the plague of leprosy is in a garment, whether it be a woolen garment or a linen garment, or in the warp or in the woof, whether they be of linen or of wool, or in skin, basically leather, or in anything made of skin. If the plague be greenish or reddish in the garment, or in the skin, or in the warp or in the woof, or in anything made of the skin, it is the plague of leprosy, and shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall look upon the plague, and isolate that whichever garment has this plague for seven days. And he will look on the plague on the seventh day, and if this plague has spread in the garment, or in the warp, or in the woof, or in the leather, whatever the skin was used for, the plague is in fact mameretanega, a malignant leprosy, it is impure. And therefore he shall burn the garment, or the warp, or the woof, or whether it be of wool or linen, or anything made of skin, whatever the plague is in, for it is a malignant form of leprosy, and shall be burnt in the fire." And if the priest shall look, and behold, the plague has not spread in the garment, or in the warp, or in the woof, or anything made of skin, 
Then the priest shall command that they wash this thing, they wash the garments, wherever the plague is, and then it shall be isolated for another seven days. And the priest shall look after the plague is washed, and behold, if the plague has not changed its color, and the plague has not spread, it is impure, it shall be burnt in the fire, it is a fret, an erosion, whether it's going to appear bekarachto or begabachto, the same terminology that we found with regard to the placement of baldness on one's head, referring here to whether or not the plague is inside or outside of the garment, within or without. And if the priest looks and behold, the plague is dim after the washing, then he shall rend it out of the garment. He tears it out of the linen, out of the wool, or out of the leather, out of the warp, or out of the woof. And if it appears still in the garment, or in the warp, or in the woof, or in anything of the skin, it is porachat, it is breaking out, then you burn wherever the plague is with fire. However, if the garment, the warp, the woof, or whatever garment of skin of leather was shown to the Kohen, and after it was washed, one sees that the plague of Tsarat has departed from them, there is no longer any semblance of any type of discoloration, then it's washed a second time and shall be considered pure. This is the law of the plague of leprosy in a garment of wool or linen, or in the warp, or in the woof, or in anything made of skin, to pronounce it pure or to pronounce it impure. In our introductory remarks on Parshat Tezriah, we noted how the structure of this section of the Torah is quite puzzling. For the first 46 verses dealt with the sores of human flesh, the nega of tzarat in all different forms. Now in verses 47 to 59, we've learned about leprosy on clothing. In next week's parsha, Parshat Mitzorah, beginning in chapter 14, we're going to go back to the case of tzarat ha'adam, of a person who's contracted tzarat, and then begin to learn the procedure for ritual purification of a mitzorah from his sores. We'd expect then that right after tzarat ha'adam, we'll then go back to tzarat ha'beged. And yet we're going to hear a new set of laws, the laws of tzarat ha'bayit, of leprosy on a house. The obvious question is the placement then of the subject of tzarat ha'beged. Why is this a break in the middle of the discussion of tzarat ha'guf? It makes much more sense for the Torah to begin with the diagnosis of tzarat ha'guf and then teach us how the person is healed from such a form of tzarat. Thereafter, the Torah can teach us about other forms of tzarat, such as tzarat ha'beged and tzarat ha'bayit. This section of Tzarat HaBeged really should be juxtaposed to the laws of leprosy on a house as an addendum to Tzarat HaGuf. The Abarbanel, who comments at the beginning of the Parsha, formulates the question as follows. Why does the Torah command us concerning leprosy of clothing here after mentioning the various types of human leprosy, but before stipulating the way in which the leper discussed in the first subject is to be purified? It would seem more appropriate for the Torah to complete the laws pertaining to human leprosy and purification, and only then discuss leprosy on clothing, and then leprosy on the houses. Why is this order jumbled? This question is further reinforced as we review the progression of the Pesukim. At the end of the section dealing with the human leprosy, the Torah describes the behavior required of a person who has been pronounced ritually impure by teaching us in Pasuk Memhe, the 
The last we saw of the Mitzorah, he was sitting outside of the camp. The direct continuation of these psukim should in fact be the beginning of chapter 14. Zotia Torata Mitzorah biyom tarato vuhuva el hakohen v'yato hakohen el michutz lamachane v'ra'a hakohen v'nei nirpa nega hatzarat min hatzarua. If we left the leprous person outside of the camp, then the continuation is that the priest must go outside of the camp in order to bring the mitzorah back in. Only in the concluding psukim of the section regarding bodily leprosy do we find this term of michutz lamachane, outside of the camp, to teach us not only the linguistic connection between these psukim, but certainly the geographical connection. But these laws are strangely interrupted by a different set of laws of Tzarat HaBeged, almost in an artificial manner, breaking up the natural flow of the Parshia. This is further underscored by the concluding Pesukim of Tzarat HaBeged, with the motif of Zo Torat Nega Tzarat Beged HaTzemer, O HaPishtim, O HaShti, O HaEriv. The term of Zo Torat, we've noted, concludes the section as it concluded the section of Zo Torat Yoledet, but we've in fact not concluded the entire section which began with Tzarat HaGuf, with the laws of bodily leprosy. Those pisukim will only be concluded in chapter 14, verse 32, with the words, Zo Torat asher bo negat tzarat asher lo yado b'taharato. This is the teaching concerning one in whom the disease of leprosy exists. Noting all these linguistic aspects, our question becomes even more troubling. Why are these pesukim dealing with leprosy on the clothing, seemingly an independent unit, inserted directly in the middle of our discussion of Tzarat HaGuf? According to the Barbanel, this is coming to teach us that there is an inextricable link between a person and his clothing. The juxtaposition of the pesukim emphasized the connection between the two. And if we revisit the verses, we're going to note how the laws of leprosy emphasize two different aspects that relate not only to the person who contracts this ritual impurity, but also to his clothing. Firstly, the Pesukim teach us twice that if by the end of the second week, the plague of Tzarat has not spread, the person is regarded ritually pure, but he still must wash his clothing. In chapter 13, verse 6, The Kohen shall look at him again on the seventh day, and if the plague is dimmer, and the plague has not spread in the skin, then the Kohen shall declare him pure, it is merely a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be pure. This term appears again with regard to the netic, finding a plague of tzarat in the scalp of one's head. In verse 34, The Kohen looks at the patch on the seventh day, and if the patch has not spread in the skin and does not appear deeper than the skin, then the Kohen shall declare him pure, and he shall wash his clothes and be pure. So even though we're speaking about the person's flesh, whether it be any part of the body or on the top of his head, we find that the clothing is going to be affected as well. The mere isolation of a person in order to be observed by the priest affects his clothing so that even if he will ultimately be declared pure, his clothing has to be washed in order for them to be considered pure. All the more so, when the mitzorah is declared impure, 
we find that this has implications for his clothing as well. In verse 45, we learn, The very first effect of the Mitzorah being declared impure is that he must tear his clothing. It is insufficient at this time just to wash it. His clothing is deeply affected, and in addition to him rending his garments, he calls out, impure, impure, teaching us that there is a clear connection between the state of the person's purity and the direct effect that it has on the state of his clothing. Even a partial impurity of a person requires washing his clothing, and the complete impurity requires that they be torn. So perhaps it's not so strange after all that the laws of Tzarat HaBeged immediately follow the laws of Tzarat HaGuf. The two are inextricably connected. The clothing, albeit exterior, is a reflection of what is taking place on the person's flesh, as opposed to Tzarat HaBayit. No such connection exists between a person and his house. So now we understand that the laws of leprosy of clothing are discussed in the middle of the laws of bodily leprosy in order to express this connection between a person and his clothing. And this connection does not end here in Parshat Tazria. We find that just as the clothing is affected throughout the process of a person's state of being declared impure, so too it will continue to be affected even in the process of his purification. For example, in chapter 14, we're going to see that once he's brought back within the camp of Am Yisrael, his clothing must again be washed. It's not enough that he shave his entire body. He also has to wash his clothing again as he gets closer to the Mikdash. The Torah is teaching us that it's not the clothing that makes the man, but in fact the man that makes or affects his own clothing, the external expression of what is taking place inside. This is not the first time that we find a connection between a person and his clothing, for this is also expressed with regard to the laws of Kuhuna. We noted both in Parshat Tzaveh and Parshat Sav that the sanctification of the Kohen takes place through donning specific clothing. In Parshat Tzaveh and again in Parshat Sav, in addition to taking a ram and sprinkling its blood upon the tips of the right ear of Aaron and his sons, and upon their thumbs of their right hands, and upon the big toes of their right foot, we also hear as part of this procedure for the consecration and sanctification of the Kohanim, their clothing also assumes a prominent role. Bigdei Kuhuna are not just an expression of kavod and tefaret, the external glory of the Mikdash, but they are inherently part of the sanctification of the priests who are going to maintain the Mikdash. In Parshat Tzaveh, chapter 28, verse 41, Through the Kohanim, getting dressed in their garments, they become Kohanim. But in addition, we hear that just as blood is going to be sprinkled upon them, the clothing themselves must be sanctified. Continuation of Sefer Shemot, chapter 29, verse 21, He shall be sanctified, also his clothing, and his sons, and his sons' clothing. The Bigdei Kuhuna, the priestly garments, also require sanctification, and this is performed alongside and part of the sanctification of the Kohanim. When the Kohanim are sanctified, their clothing becomes sanctified. Just as when a person becomes impure, his clothes require washing, 
and therefore it is a natural juxtaposition to then hear about the impurity of the clothes themselves, which really serve as an expression of the impurity of the person. Perhaps this is the basis for Chazal to teach us that when a person contracts Sarat of the Beged, the next step is Sarat Aguf. That should serve as a warning that if his clothing contracts Sarat, then there really is something wrong with the person himself. Here is another example of how the laws of the Mitzorah remind us of the laws of Kuhuna, again juxtaposed to recognizing the authority of the Kohanim, albeit Am Yisrael witnessing the deaths of Nadav and Avihu. They're still supposed to appreciate the special status afforded to them within Am Yisrael, and therefore throughout the laws of Tzara'at, we're naturally reminded of the association between man and his clothing, both with regard to his purity and sanctification, and how it's affected in a state of impurity. Here's another wonderful example of how appreciating a parshia in its context not only sensitizes us to the various juxtapositions or the aberrations from the flow of the text, but also charges us with a broader understanding of how we see the recurring themes within the texts of the Torah. Speaking of the broader context, tomorrow we will conclude Parshat Tazriah with understanding and examining the broader context of actual instances of people who have contracted Sarat.